On today's episode, I will be interviewing Tommy on a book that he recently finished called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, A Practical Guide to Personal Freedom. So, Tommy, can you tell me a little bit about this book? Well, Paul, I picked up this book after my sister had recommended it. She read it while doing her first 75 hard, really enjoyed it. I saw it for 50% off, decided to get it. It was maybe six bucks. Nice. The four agreements is a methodology on living life. Don Miguel Ruiz talks about how our entire lives up and until where we are at this point, we've made agreements. As children, we wanted to know things. We were curious, captivated, in wonder. However, as we started to grow up, we started making agreements. Some of these agreements are, you have to act a certain way in public. You can't speak up to authority. You have to follow the rules. You have to sit in your seat during class. You can't say these words. You can't say those words. Over time, these agreements that we've made in our heads, in our minds, they hold us back from doing what we maybe think we should be doing. And the thought in this book is to break down the agreements that don't serve you and to add on specifically four agreements. Be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. And always do your best. And in about 130 pages, he makes a good argument why these four agreements can help change the way you live your life. As a sales professional, one of those constantly gets hammered on, which is never make any assumptions. Oftentimes, most of the disappointment in my career comes with you assuming that something is where you think it is, and it turns out not to be there. Most of the disappointment doesn't come from losing a sale that you never really had a shot with. It's losing a sale that you thought was a absolute done deal. I'm very curious on one thing that you said there before you told me those four agreements, though, which is it makes the argument to break down some of the agreements that you have already made and are instituted in your life. Were any of those particularly necessary to remove that you learned about? Honestly, not really. Okay. I, I focused more on the four agreements and specifically rereading those sections. The things I had mentioned about some are how men and women are supposed to act. Right In society, we're now breaking those things down almost to, well, not almost, to an extreme. And so agreements that we've made in the past are all culturally driven. Right? Are you saying so, I can start asking her to split the check? Is that, is that the idea? <laughs> I'm saying that you don't have to pay the entire check if you don't want to. Just understand there's consequences with that. <laughs> right. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad agreement to have. Especially if you're doing well financially and can make that payment. 
So it, it's not that all agreements are bad. It's that the ones that withhold you or hold you down, over time in college, people stop asking questions. Mm-hmm. The professors usually say, does anybody have any questions? And it's usually a small minority of the class that will ask them. This is an agreement societally created where, especially over in Europe, where the tall poppy gets cut, right? Or the tall weed gets cut. Maybe not so much in American society because we, since our inception, have wanted people to succeed. And that is this idea of this American dream. But over in Europe, a lot of people don't want to stand out. So that's an agreement that societally there they have made that when you stand out, you get beaten down, Mm. right? So if you can break that agreement and take on these other agreements, you won't feel the pressure of not asking a question. If you're curious about something, you'll ask. If you're impeccable with your word and you don't make assumptions, you're going to ask questions. If you want to know stuff, and if you're always doing your best, then of course you're going to ask questions, right? So they all kind of come together, at least in that example. So in order to successfully enact these four agreements in your life, are there plenty of instilled agreements that have to be remolded? Yes. There's okay. plenty of plenty of examples in there of in order to be impeccable with your word, right? He breaks down impeccable to without sin, right? So... Even as you and I do, when we're evaluating how we speak on the podcast, there are certain habits, right? Another word for an agreement that we've built in to ourselves, where we may say right or, you know, and by evaluating that habit, by, by understanding that it's there, you can then adjust it. And it's not an easy thing to do. And it makes a point in here that these things are not easy to do. But if you're always doing your best, your best might not be perfection. It won't be perfection. But if you're evaluating and working on improvement and you're always trying to do your best, then that's the most that you can be asked of. How can you possibly do better than your best? Anyways. It's actually really funny. As I sit here and look at these four agreements I wrote down as you listed them off, In some way or another, I have been taught that these are all very quite important in what I do professionally. So be impeccable with your word in the sales process. I absolutely have to do everything I'm going to say. I I say I'm going to do with the customer. Otherwise, they you lose that credibility. I don't have the ability to say that I'm going to deliver what I'm promising to deliver to you if you choose to move forward with us. Do not take anything personal. One thing that I did earlier on in my current position is get frustrated when I establish the beginning of a relationship with a prospect and then they go dark on me for some amount of time. They, they don't respond to my calls. They don't respond to my emails. And it's important to remember that although I am building a personal and professional relationship with them, there are seasons, right? And when they do go dark on me, when they do ignore me, whatever that might be, do not take that personally. Otherwise, when they are prepared to come to the table in good faith and move the project forward, you won't be prepared because you will still be acting emotionally 
about that last interaction. Do not make any assumptions. Like I said, never assume you know where you are. Always confirm that you know where you are in a sales cycle and do your best. If you're not coming to work every single day, planting the seeds, doing the thing you need to be doing, then when it comes time to harvest, you will absolutely not have the harvest that you want. So really all of these have been key in my job. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear first of all, what the examples they give of those four agreements. And second of all, what your biggest takeaways were from this book. I think, as you said, we all know of these four agreements, but it's about instilling them. Right. Right. And just based on other books we've read, I feel I have found methods to do my best to impart these methods. I don't know that it gives necessarily a practical guide on erasing or getting rid of these agreements. Yep. Did you think that it was a practical guide when you picked up the book? Through examples, it can be. I don't know that someone who hasn't read everything I've read will be able to as quickly install these beliefs or agreements. Like someone may be able to change a habit if they read Atomic Habits. Right, exactly. Okay. So I would say the biggest takeaway really from these books, from this book, are the four agreements, right? So the idea about being impeccable with your word without sin, it's not only about doing what you say you're going to do, but it's not instilling poison into others. It's not putting people down, right? Because you're not then being impeccable with your word. One of the interesting or captivating parts of that chapter was how gossip is this sort of evil thing, right? And and he writes in a more spiritual way. And he talks about how being impeccable with your word, always thinking through what you're going to say, is like light magic. Whereas trying to hurt others or put people down or say what you know is going to hurt them is like this dark magic. And so being able to look at it in that light, I know I was watching an episode of White Lotus and there was a lot of manipulation going on. And I had just read this chapter and you could see how people were using these Machiavellian techniques to destroy people or to change them into this darker version. It's just one example of how you can look at it in media. But it's cool to see how even just reading that chapter, I can then turn on a TV show and say, oh, they're using that to manipulate, whereas they're trying to use it for good. Well, and a little bit of a preview for those of you that enjoy listening to our book review episodes, we will be coming out with a couple of books by Jordan Peterson, one of which includes a rule that is tell the truth or at least don't lie. And it feels like the agreement to be impeccable with your word is the same thing. You're trying to make it clear that when you are speaking, you should be aiming at the highest good with your words. And if you aren't doing that, it is negatively impacting your life. Is that right? Yeah, I, I would completely agree. Now, on to the second agreement. Don't take anything personally. How he describes this is a shield to black magic or dark magic. 
it's a shield that if you don't take anything personally and you understand that when people are saying something, it's usually because of a frustration they have or an inadequacy that they have. Just know that what they say doesn't matter in a sense. Don't let them poison you with their word, right? The word, as he describes it, is the most important thing that we as humans use. But it can hurt or it can create. I think I've seen so many examples of people not taking something personally that I would and seeing their peace because they are able to not take it personally that I, of the four, I think this is the one that I would struggle with the most personally, funny enough, not to take (laughs) things personally, but I think it's where there is so much growth with people. And, And when you recognize that someone that is exerting negative energy in your direction, they can never be doing that for a positive reason. And so it is almost always coming from some personal flaw that they happen to be exposing in your direction. And so if you choose to be damaged by that, there's such a higher chance that you return the favor and damage them as well. And so being able to basically absorb that and not have it affect you, it's such a better plan for life. And again, in the professional environment, I think especially, if you have the opportunity to take every interaction with every one of your coworkers, every one of the people in the hierarchy above you, every one of the interactions with the people below you like that, you don't realize that there's so much more to life. And there are times when people are having a terrible day and you happen to be caught in the crossfire. And if you manage to just eliminate that extra stress and extra pain from your life by not taking it personally, That's amazing. And and you can break the link in the chain because I think so often people have terrible days at work and then they come home and they take it out on their family. And then because of that, they have terrible days. And if you can just break that and not take it personally and then come home from work and have a wonderful life, then your time at work is wonderful too. I think it was a great image that you put right there. However, it's also on that family to not take it personally, right? They can also be the break in the chain. Hurt people want to hurt people. It's usually to drag people down. However, if you're being impeccable with your word, I believe you then surround yourself with good because you're going to- Here's, go- here's a random question. I'm sorry to interrupt. No. In the agreement to be impeccable with your word, does that- imply that the use of sarcasm is directly a bad it doesn't go into it it's a great question i wouldn't say so i don't know because when you you, something you said there something about surrounding yourself with people that are good or being impeccable with their words and i think of well there are plenty of people that i really enjoy spending time with that are very sarcastic and is being around other people and being sarcastic yourself then being unimpeccable with your word and therefore not fulfilling that agreement. It, it feels great, like it it's has to be. It's a great question. It's, it's a great question because usually sarcasm is, is meant to hurt someone or, or poison someone. At the same time, I wouldn't stop comedy, right? Because usually comedy is, is there to provide a purpose of laughter. It's not 
necessarily to hurt people. Sometimes it does that when it doesn't succeed necessarily. Caught but again, incidental those, contact. The people that are offended have been chosen to be offended. They've they made chose that choice. Themselves. Yeah, and, they instead of not personally. taking it personally. I I agree with that in essence. And if you don't take things per personally, then you can still be impeccable to your word to the spirit of it while engaging in sarcasm i would think yeah so if you agree if you live out all four then they can work in harmony together i would i would think but tell me about uh not making any assumptions so not making assumptions any assumptions you portrayed it pretty perfectly in in what you were talking about when when we make assumptions or visions in our head right for instance what you had said a potential customer and you kind of see maybe a paycheck down the road or a bonus or being able to shake hands with, with the guy, get that, get the project completed. You can make all this vision in your head. And the problem with that is any deviation from that. And now the judge, you know, it, it also talks about how there's a judge and a victim within you and how the judge is always judging you based on those agreements. Right. And so that's where it talks about how negative agreements you're now judging yourself for something that doesn't have to be something you subscribe to. And also that victim mentality is you feeling bad because you know, you're not doing what you've agreed to, not necessarily what's good or what's bad, but what you've agreed to. Mm -hmm. This is quite a tangent but I really enjoyed the mention of the judge and victim and what it made me ask internally was are the political sides of the aisle polarized right now about you talk about the wolves that you feed is the wolf that grows, right? Are, is the conservative side really only concerned with being a judge and the liberal side really only concerned with being a victim? Because it really feels like, both of those explain a lot of polarization where the conservatives are very law and order and all talk about, well, this is the only justice that we can ascertain. And the liberal side of the aisle is saying, well, all of these people are victims and we have to ensure that these victims are taken care of. It feels like there isn't a good balance on either side. And that's, in a sense, what the divide is about. Yeah, I, I think that's a great example. What I was thinking of as you were talking about that is political ads. What that is is that dark magic. You're being unimpeccable with your word. You, you are sinning with your word. You are trying to poison another person for you to succeed. You're talking about attack ads specifically. Attack ads specifically, yes. Okay. There are political ads that are more focused on the positive, right? That, Correct. That exists. Okay. For sure. But I guess what I see more often is the attack ads. These days, yes. Back in the day, it was not as vitriolic. Dark magic seems to be the... Is that how he actually puts it? Is there dark magic? He calls it black magic. I, I think of it as light magic, dark magic. Do you believe in magic? No, but I believe in the word. And I think the word has this ability to influence and almost seem like a superpower. I don't and disagree you, with that. And it can be used for good or evil. Yep. Hitler, of course. I mean, that's the easy evil Plenty of them. example. Plenty Mussolini, there, there are a lot of dictators in history that were well-spoken. But then George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Jesus, 
using this word for good. All the people that I immediately, if I had, if they said <laughs> list three people that used the word for good, it would have been it would have been George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Jesus in that order, of course. <laughs> Sorry, that was listen. Just too it, funny. I didn't think fully through it. I probably could have come up with a ton of examples. We all right. Talk about doing our best. So it talks about always doing your best and how it's in a sense okay to fail because your best can only improve by getting better every time. So by always doing your best, your new best has progressed. And on certain days when you feel a certain way, you know, I drank too much last night and that's probably Dude, are are you he, stating a fact or are you no, 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 using no, no, example? Okay. example using you're you're example. not hungover right now? That's good. Okay. I promise I'm not hungover currently. <laughs> no, I gave up drinking for Lent, so I have not had a drink since... Ash Wednesday? Yeah. Good for you. On to the example, if I can remember it clearly. It's okay not to do your best because yesterday you were oh, drunk. Oh, again, maybe not the best example. But what I mean to say is if you had planned something out, Right. If you had said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. And then something happens that shifts the day. It's not saying that you can't do your best to do those five, or I think of it as five things, but it's okay to not. Because if your best is, I need to take a break, then that's what's most important for you. You may disagree with me in, in some ways, but there are there are some days where you're not at your at your best. So no, my, my question is more about what the main point and message of making the agreement to do your best is, because it seems like you said do your best. And then if you can't really do your best because of external circumstances, that's OK, too. But what is the main takeaway from the idea of doing your best in what I assume is everything you do? Yes, in everything you do. I got to find the right words to describe it because I don't know that I can articulate it as well as he can. Okay. Yeah, again, the example that comes to my mind is in your place of work, if your job is very specifically results-oriented, you can't check the results every day because there will be days where you do better than others. And there will be days where the results come in from when you were trying previously. So the important thing is to do your best because if you don't, then you will not have the results you want later on. But that's just what I can experience in my, per in my life personally. Yeah, for sure. And this is just another way to describe I believe what you had just said. If you do your best always over and over again, you will become a master of transformation. Practice makes the master. By doing your best, you become a master. Everything you have learned, you learn through repetition. You learn to write, to drive, and even to walk by repetition. You are a master of speaking your language because you practice. practiced. Action is what makes the difference. So it's all good to believe in these things, but if you don't take the action to be impeccable with your word, if you don't take the action to not make assumptions, if you don't take the action to, when personally attacked, not take it personally, then you are doing less than your best, right? Mm -hmm. 
but what I was saying also about, you know, your best may be at a three today, but your best tomorrow is an eight. If you're not performing to that best, you're never going to see the exponential increase in your control of oneself. What would you say? Can you think of a single specific example of when prior to reading this book, you would have acted in it one way and because you had the information and knowledge from reading this book, you chose to act differently. I chose today. I wrote in my little productivity planner that I have at work that my intent for the day was the four agreements. By putting that intent out there, I know I was more impeccable with my word. I wasn't perfect about not taking things personally, but I think I was able to do my best today by thinking about wanting to do my best. On a normal day, I may not have gotten as much done, but today with that thought in mind about doing my best, I did more than I had planned on even doing. Okay. This it's a small example and it's the thing is I I think that agreement is easier for me to take on because it's 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 an agreement my parents passed on. Mm. That that was something that's already been instilled to always be doing your best. Yeah. That's and funny. Of course, I, I, I would say that I have failed in always doing that. As we all have. But if there was one of these that I would say, one of my parents exemplified really well, it was don't take anything personally. My, my dad was very good at that, of recognizing that if, if someone else had a problem with how you were living life and wanted to express that to you, that that's their right to do that, but you, they have no control over your reception of that. And you don't have to take that personally. So, and I, I think most of the people I know, that would be the one that could really change how they live their life. They just decided that they weren't going to take anything personally. And again, I put myself in that group. That would, that would make a big difference. But is there any last takeaways that you would want to leave the audience with from this book? And also, what do you give it out of 10? A last takeaway, in order to break an agreement or a habit or a subconscious thought that you tell yourself, you have to one, be aware of it. And so the awareness of even looking at those thoughts, those habits, is the first step in being able to either break or add on new habits. So it's, it's awareness. And I think that's what this book can do. It can give you some practical examples of things we all know to be true that would help us, but to make you think about it in a different way, to make yourself more aware of those preconceived notions that you have, of those agreements that you've already made. On rating, I'm going to give this book an 8.6. Super easy read. Only 140 pages. I read 60 pages yesterday in maybe a half hour. Goodness it was gracious. Nice. You know, big text. And if you like, there's a there's a little bit of fiction sense to this. Because it's talking about ideas of magic. Black magic, yeah. <laughs> yes. But looking at it through that kind of fictional, non-realistic way can maybe resonate with people who are more creative or visual or like fiction. Cool. Okay. 
Well, that is very fun. I'm glad that you read that book and can give us the review of it. I think I learned something just from talking to you about it. So, and if it's that easy to read, I, I may find some room for it in the busy reading schedule, but we will see. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoy this episode, give it a like, give it a share, send it to your mom. Thanks. We appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. We ask you to follow us on Instagram at brace.22. Paul's Twitter is at Paul from Brace. And be sure to email us at brace22 at protonmail.com. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you are listening and send to a friend if you found value in this discussion. Thanks. We appreciate it.